we are starting a series on the gospel according to Mark. Now, I'm going to give you a little, just a very little background on it, just so you have some idea. And I want you to know, too, that I'm, whenever I'm preaching in this series, I'm going to do my best to um, have, sorry, my phone, trying to get the timer going, and it says, Siri's not available. So evidently, something I said, Siri tried to talk. Um, anyway, no one cares, I know. Um, I'm going to do my best to use, I, you know, no one can use someone else's voice, but, but there's an attitude that Mark has in his gospel and I'm going to do my best to have the same sort of spirit and attitude about me when preaching his gospel. Um, so just a little bit of background on the gospel, Mark. First of all, it's the first gospel penned and then used in circulation, so sent around to various peoples. Um, it, it's the earliest of the gospels. It's the shortest of the gospels. And two of the other three gospels used Mark, at least there's much evidence to, to that effect, used Mark as their base and then built, added, not just added stories, but tried to communicate an additional point of view. So Mark, uh, a lot of times we think that, that scripture writers there's all kinds of controversy. I know that History Channel always tries to do it. And then the certain authors try to make it sound like that there was some conspiracy to not allow some books in Scripture and others. And it was keeping out what's true and keeping in what's wrong. And that's just a whole bunch of hooey. Uh, I just want you to know that, that, that in order to get your book in Scripture, I just got Tim Vink laughing because I said hooey. Um, <laughs> well, anyway... In order to make it into scripture, you either had to be a, an apostle, someone chosen and, and, and anointed by Christ himself to be an ambassador for him, or you had to be a first generation disciple of one of the apostles. So there's the 12 and, you know, John, the gospel according to John, he was one of the 12, but Mark was not one of the 12. Now there is some speculation late in, in, in Mark's gospel. There's this little spot where this little kid, uh, he lost his clothes and he ran away. And some people say, well, that was little Mark. That's speculation. I have no idea if Mark shows up in this gospel or not, but here's what you should know. Mark was a disciple of Peter. And much of what you hear in here is, is are Peter's experiences. And even some of Peter's personality comes out. I mean, there's a spot in the gospel after Jesus dies and is resurrected where the angel shows up to the women at the tomb and they say, go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter was a disciple, right? But Peter had denied Christ. Peter had felt like he had let Jesus down. And, and it was this idea that Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter knew that he has a second chance. So Peter is all over this book. And if you know Peter, the character of Peter, Peter, he's kind of a ready, fire, aim kind of a guy, right? Yeah. So I just want you to be aware that, that Mark's, the Mark's approach, Mark decided somehow, some way, when he put pen this book, that, that he is only going to tell you what you need to know and nothing more. So there in, in Luke and Matthew, you'll see the infancy narratives where, where we find out about the angel visiting Mary and we find out about uh, the angel visiting Elizabeth and, and John the baptizer, his birth and, and, you know, the pregnancy of Elizabeth and then the pregnancy of Mary. And we find all of this stuff and then we hear about him as a little boy. And then, and then, he, then the next time he shows up, John the baptizer's out there and he's preaching, and preaching repentance and then Jesus shows up and he gets baptized. Well, none of that, the baptism part is in there, but in Mark, it just says this. I'm just going to give you a little. 
the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then he quotes a prophet, and then, and then he talks about John baptizing in the wilderness. And then Jesus shows up, and the Ruach, the Holy Spirit of God, hovers over him. And a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And then he heads off straight to the desert where he's tempted, and he lives with wild animals. And he comes back. He calls the first disciples and then drives out an evil spirit. And by the way, the evil spirits in the gospel, Mark, get Jesus right every time. We miss it. We don't always understand it. But they, I mean, the first, they said, uh, what do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, Jesus is a spiritual Rambo in Mark. He doesn't mess around. Je there is nothing that gets in his way. There is no, there's no, there's no sense that Jesus is apprehensive in any way. Not saying that the other gospels say that, but Mark, he's like, this is what you need to know. He conquers all. And he loves all. And anything that's going to take you away from God, Jesus comes in and he takes them on and he pushes them away and he calls you to repentance and faithfulness. The very next thing after, after the driving out of the evil spirit, he tells him, it's not the word, but shut up. Don't talk about this anymore. Just leave. And they scurry away and leave. And then there's this, he heals many. The word got out right away. And, and everyone that, that, that was brought to Jesus, he healed them of diseases and infirmities and injuries and all of those kind of things. And then we get to this, then he goes off to pray. And then we get to our story today. The healing of the leper in Mark chapter one. Now, you're probably familiar with it. I know for sure that I preached this to the middle school students a couple of years ago. And I preached it at VBS. I can't recall if, if, if it's been presented here from me in the sanctuary, but I, I do, I do want to ask you this, you're because you're probably familiar with it. Please listen today like you're hearing it for the first time, because at the end of this, there's going to be a poke or a challenge. I'm going to teach you two words. One is sanctification. And the easiest way I can define that word is Jesus loves you just the way you are but he's not going to leave you that way. The process by which he does not leave you that way is called sanctification. And then the other one is antinomianism. That's a heresy that we hear in Solomon tells us, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. And as enlightened as we think we are, and as modern or postmodern as we think we are, we think these new things, these new developments in our culture, these new developments in theology, that these are all new, 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 and they're not. There's nothing new under the sun. Our culture as a whole, and especially, I mean, it's been ramped up. It's been happening since probably the 40s, maybe the 50s, certainly the 60s, but it's been ramped up over the last 15 or 20 years. And it seeps, what tends to happen is that the, the, the culture of wherever it might be, you could be in Russia, you could be in Somalia, you could be in, in sub-Saharan Africa, it doesn't matter. The culture that the church is in, the culture always wants to seep into the church. And some of that is good because Christ can redeem a culture. But some of it is a, an attempt by the enemy of God to pervert the gospel of Christ. And today we're going to talk about antinomianism in the context of this one man and our response to Christ's call to sanctification. He loves me just the way I am, but he refuses to leave me that way. Now, here's how the story starts. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Background on leprosy. We call it Hansen's disease now, and it's a strange disease. We, we know now that it's a, it's a parasite that causes it, uh, but back then, um, well, here, here's Hansen's disease first, as best I understand it. I'm no physician, but it, you, 
people that have Hansen's disease begin with the little sores or little spots on their skin, but when you start to see the real symptoms of it, it the, the nerve endings, neuropathy, the nerve endings start to die at the end of your fingers, toes, nose, ears, that kind of thing, your extremities first. And what happens is you, you lose the ability to feel pain. And I don't know if you know this, but pain is a gift. It tells you, if, if you injure yourself, it tells you baby that, wash that, clean that up, make it better, um, do what you can to make sure... Just probably don't want to mess with that thing right now because it needs to get better. There's two types of pain. Now, there's pain that harms, injury, and pain that heals, surgery, okay? Emotionally, too, they're, they're, you, if you lose a loved one, that, oh, that hurts. And then you have to grieve, and that's pain that heals if you embrace it. If you, if you experience it, it will help you walk through the process. Not that you get over something, but that you get through it. Hansen's disease takes away your ability to experience pain in those particular areas where the, the nerves are dying. And what happens then is you get injured, even if it's a splinter or you get a little thing. There's a story of, a, I think it was Philip Yancey, but there's a story in a, in a, one of, there's two or three authors that I really like. And Philip Yancey is one of them. I think it was when he was talking about pain. He talked about either being in the DR or Haiti. It's the same, same island. And it was a mission thing. And there, was, there, were, there were lepers there. And they went up to the shed to get something out of it, and there was this rusty lock with a key. And Philip Yancey, I believe, I want to give him credit. If it is him, if it's not, then someone will find the book and correct me. But and he went to, and it's just such a clear story in my head. But he went, he went to turn the key, and Philip Yancey, he's a big guy. He couldn't do it. And this 12-year-old boy who had Hansen's disease, who had leprosy, comes up, and he'd say, well, let me try. And he goes, boom. And he broke, broke that key free, opened that lock, and they looked down. He had, that key had cut his fingers to the bone, and blood was just all over the place. And the kid had no idea because he had Hansen's disease. And then what happens is you get infected, and then you're, it's called necrosis. You're, you're, the, 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 the skin, the flesh starts to die off. And it, as it dies off, you get more infected. It dies off, you get more infected. And so your fingers rot off. Your ears rot off. Your nose rots off. Your, your toes rot off. It's a horrible, evil, wicked disease. This man that comes to Jesus and falls on his knees and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus' ministry's just begun. It's just starting to get out there. This guy really might not know that he is the son of man, that he's the son of God, that he's the anointed one of Israel, that he is the one on whom God hovered over and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He might not know this yet, but he's desperate. And here's why he's desperate. Not just because he has this skin disease, but if you look back in Leviticus 13, and then you look at Leviticus 14, you'll see these things. But Leviticus 13, the law was to protect the people from disease. They didn't have antivirals. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have ways to get rid of um, other than, than God deciding to heal someone and cleanse, cleanse them, they didn't have ways of getting rid of parasites. And so there was these, these rules set up to kind of keep the people healthy. And one of the rules was that if you found a spot on your skin, like a whitened spot, and you're supposed to go and present yourself to Aaron the priest or one of his sons, the priests, and, and if the priest examines it and sees that this little white spot or this discolored spot, if the hair in the middle of it is turning white, then it's declared an infectious skin disease. And here's what happened to you. Once you were declared infected, you were declared unclean, which means you can't be in community with other people. You can't be within shouting distance of them. And they put you in a tent 
or a hut, some kind of very small dwelling. Now, you think they put you in your house. You know, I, I have plenty of room in my house. We have more room than we need. Uh, but it's not like that. It's like a little four-foot roof, thatch roof kind of hut or a little tiny little tent. Not the kind of tents that we have now. Think about, you know, animal hides and that kind of stuff. They put you in there for seven days alone. And if after seven days, the priest comes to you again, he examines you again. If you're still, if it's not gone, if it's not healed, if it's not, the blemish isn't, isn't gone, another seven days. And then if after the second seven days, that's 14 days of aloneness, you're cast out. You're shunned. You can't be in relationship with your family, with your friends, with the people that you worship with. Now, I want to ask you this question. If you, when's the last time you were alone for seven days with no screens? I've got, I've got a MacBook, an iPad, an iPhone, and an Apple Watch. There is no place, if I have those things on, that I can't be in connection with other people. There's no time that I can't, if I want to, talk to Siri and ask her to bring up a bass fishing YouTube video. You know, there's always something I can do, always. But I have on, on a, one or two occasions, I mean, one time it was with Lynn, another time I was alone for a couple of days, no screens, no electronics, no nothing. And I'm a person, you know, I'm a preacher because I can't sit still in church. Sitting still alone for seven days, imagine seven days. And if you have the spiritual gift of anxiety, you know what your head's going to do. You're going to get a brain worm. You're going to get the, the, the stinking thinking is going to take over and you're going to be what ifing yourself to death. What if it doesn't go away? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And then you see the priest and he says, it's not better. What if, what? seven more, 14 days of absolute utter anxiety and depression waiting to see and the prayers you would utter, the desire to say bye to your family, but if after, after 14 days you're not healed, you're cast out of community. You don't get to go back and say goodbye because you're unclean. You'll make other people unclean and make it so that they are no longer able to worship God until they go through these ceremonial, and you can read about the ceremonial cleansing after, after you're healed, after you're better, how you make yourself right with God again in Leviticus 14. So here's this man that found a spot on his arm presented himself to the priest, and after 14 days, he left. And he's not allowed to have any contact with anyone else who is clean. And his job, by law, is if he comes within shouting distance of another person, so let's say f without the mic... If he comes that close to another person, he has to stop where he is and yell, Unclean! unclean. He has to make sure that people know that they can't come in contact with him. And he has to stand still until everybody else is out of sight. And if he doesn't do that, if he comes within sharing breath with another person, if he comes within regular talking distance to another person, the legal responsibility of the person that he comes in contact with is to pick up rocks and hit him with them until he's dead. So imagine the desperation of this man, this leper in Mark chapter 1. Imagine if zeal in Michigan, right? Feel the zeal. What if your responsibility as a follower of Christ is if you came in contact with someone in zeal and it was feel the zeal and taste this rock. What if your moral obligation was to kill someone who wasn't pure? Or if you're the person who's not pure, if you're the person who's unclean, what if every time you walked down Main Street and someone came in within shouting distance, you had to yell out, selfish, 
have an anger problem. I made my kids hate me. Lustful. You don't want to see my internet history. If you knew what goes on inside of my head, you wouldn't want to be near me. Angry. Greedy. I wish ill on you because you have more than I have. Imagine if you had to say the worst of you out loud every time you came in contact with another person. Tell me that your life, and if you didn't, you could be killed for it. Tell me that your life wouldn't be a life of desperation and fear. This man is desperate. He is willing to fall on his knees in front of a Jewish teacher knowing that the likelihood is that that teacher is going to say, I'm sorry, but I must put you to death. He falls on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Now watch this. Filled with compassion, which means that Jesus would move deep in his gut. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I'm willing, be clean. Actually, he said, I'm willing, be clean! Exclamation point there. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now I want you to, I want you to see something. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. I have the same, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And according to the scriptures, as a Christian, I have the same authority that Jesus had. In fact, he said, you will do even greater things than I have done. So I could say to a leper, I'm willing, in the name of Jesus, be clean. He could be clean. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus doesn't behave like I do. Because if someone came up with, the, with just holes in his face for a nose, no real ears, rags around his, his, his crumpled up or, 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 or shrinking hands, and he walks up to me all dirty, hasn't had a bath, hasn't been washed with oil, smells bad, walks up, falls on his knees, says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If I'm in that spot, I'm probably going to go, I'm willing, be clean. <clears throat> Come here, let me give you a hug. I'm going to clean him up first. It's kind of gross. But that's not what Jesus does. This man has not been touched by another clean, religious, faithful human being in years. And it says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I'm, I'm willing. Be clean. But before he did that, he touched him. He loved him. He met his existential angst first. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of your disease. I'm not afraid of your unclean, uncleanness. I love you. Now, be clean. And he was. Fingers grew back. Nose was restored. He could walk, tearing off the rags. And Jesus says this to him. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell, anyone, tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to, him, to them. Now, that's not for him to be healed. It's to be made, made ceremonially clean again. You, that's Leviticus 14. Uh, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now here, I want you to see this. I'm going to challenge you with something. I defy you, or in a nicer term, I challenge you to read the Gospels 
If you can show me a spot where Jesus has an encounter with someone, where he decides, you know what? You're good. I'm going to leave you just like you are. Then I will retract this message. There are people that choose not to change. You Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you hypocrites, you cross a sea to win a single convert, you bring them, bring them back and make them twice the son of hell as you, you brood of vipers. I mean, he's challenging them. Don't stay the way you are. With the, with the man, uh, the, the healing at the pool in John chapter 5, he walks up and, hey, do you want, do you want to get well? He doesn't, ever, he doesn't answer the question. He answers the wrong question. He says, here's why I'm not well. Every time I try to get into the pool, someone gets in there ahead of me. And Jesus just looks at him and says, get up. Pick up your mat. Go home. The woman with the issue of blood, when Jesus is walking, going to, to, to try to heal a little girl, um, this woman reaches out in a crowd. She's bleeding. And so she's unclean too. And she reaches out and touches the cloak of his garment. And Jesus stops. She's already healed, but he stops. And he says, your faith has made you well. Every single healing, every, even the demoniac and the decapolis, when, who has legion living in him, Jesus, he goes, hey, let me come with you. And he goes, no, you stay here. You be the person that I want you to be here. See, Jesus loves them right where they are. Every one of them. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't back off. He goes to them. But then everything changes. Everything. The, the, this man now has to go and be reunited with his family. This man has to find work. This man needs to be made clean so that he can worship God again with people. The invalid, who had been an invalid for 38 years, he's, got to, he's been a beggar. Now he's got to go be productive. He's got, to, he's got to be able to go and worship God in holiness, in purity. The woman with the issue of blood, the reason Jesus stopped, she's already clean. He said, Some, I just felt someone touch me. I felt the power leave me. But he singles this woman out in a crowd because even if she's healed, no one knows it unless he restores her to community. Her life changes beginning with the healing, not ending with it. So sometimes we go, Lord, heal me. And that's all we want. I've been praying for my arm to be healed for 28 years come March 29. And so far, not yet. I'm still going to pray. But if he heals my hand, he's not done with me then. That hand should go to work. It should do what he's called it to do. Same thing with my ears, my eye, my legs. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he will not leave you that way. But you can decide to resist him in working in your life. Here's where our culture has communicated to us in some way. And I'm not, I'm not saying the culture's evil. The culture's the culture just like money's money. Money's not evil or good. It's amoral. It's just what it is. But we can't expect, and I'm going to caution you on this one. When I talk about this, you cannot, don't go legalistic. Like, oh, the culture, everything's terrible and everyone's evil. And you can't expect someone who doesn't know the God you know to behave like they did. But as Christians, we do know the God we know, so we shouldn't be expected to live like we don't. Our culture is trying to tell us this, and it's ramped up for the last 10 or 15 or, 15 or 20 years in particular, trying to convince us of this lie. Jesus loves you just the way you are, and he celebrates what you are. He celebrates the worst of you. He celebrates all the things that might even counter with Scripture. He doesn't want to change a thing. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's no different than the heresy 
antinomianism. We believe that Jesus fulfilled the law. So we have a law, a law-free gospel. Guilt, grace, gratitude, sin, salvation, service. We don't obey the law to appease God. We do the things God calls to do and we respect the boundaries that he's placed uh, in our lives because we want to glorify God. It's we're freed to be voluntarily in his service. He wants to love us. He loves us just like we are, but he will not leave us that way. And so there's some boundaries set up saying, I want to make you more holy. I want to make you more like me. I want you to be a better, an even better ambassador for Christ. But, but if, if the gospel is... Jesus loves you just the way you are, and he celebrates everything, then lust, anger, bitterness, selfishness, abuse, murder, evil. No one can tell me that the scripture says that Jesus celebrates those things. But somehow, some way, we want, we want to be antinomians. We want to be lawless, not law-free. Picture this, if you want to buy fire insurance, let's say that you don't have to, you pay for your house and so you don't need mortgage insurance and all that kind of stuff. But you know, just in case there's a fire, I'm going to buy fire insurance. You, have, you invite the fire insurance guy, the, the, the rep to come over and he, he meets you, he rings your doorbell and you go, hey, hold on a second, just back up two steps. So he steps down at my house. We have two little, or one little step. He steps back and just wait a minute. And you take a can of gasoline and you pour it all over your front door and all over. And then you say, hey, I want to buy a fire insurance. And you start flicking matches. Lit matches. Is he going to sell you fire insurance? <sighs> no. Because you're taking the, the very thing that he's going to insure against, you're trying to destroy. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he will not leave you that way. And you can choose to either participate with him in him changing everything or resisting him. And I want to tell you, you've heard the story, but just one reminder. The rich young man, he comes up to Jesus, he's a good teacher. What must I do? I, yeah, I'm sure you had this face. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, first of all, if it's inheritance, there's nothing you can do. It's already provided for you, okay? But second, he says, what do I got to do? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Honor God, mother and father, don't murder. And the guy's got his iPhone out and he's clicking off his little to-do. Done it, done it, done it, done it, done it. Yep, kept all those since I was a kid. And the end of the story is, Jesus says one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give to the poor. Follow me. It says that the man face fell. He's a rich man and he walked away. Now according to that scripture, if Jesus doesn't have another interaction with that man, his eternal address does not change. But here's the piece we often miss in that story, just like we often miss that he reached out and touched him and then said, be clean. When he said one thing you lack, right before he said one thing you lack, you know, I've kept all those since I was a kid. It says in the scripture, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then he said, one thing you lack, sell it all, give to the poor, come after me. And the guy didn't want to be loved just like he was with change. He wanted to be ju loved just like he was, so he had fire insurance. So what is it in your life that you know Jesus won't celebrate, but you act like he does. I don't want you to get legalistic. I want you to see that Jesus loves you. 
And so he wants the best for you. And he created a life in such a way that he knows better than you do what's going to work. The gospel of Mark is clear. It only tells us what we need to know. And at the end of it, if you don't get it, you go back to the beginning and you start over. And as the person that God has chosen today to preach the gospel to you, I'm going to tell you, he loves you so much that he wants more for you than you want. And if you participate with him and not leaving you the way you are, he will make you more holy. And he will give you more purpose. But if you want to believe the lie, antinomianism, a lawless gospel, that Jesus loves you just the way you are and he's not going to change a thing, then you're not believing the gospel. And it's not Jesus you're bowing to. You might use that name. But it is not the God in flesh revealed to you in the scriptures. It is something else. It is a perversion of what Jesus wants and who Jesus is. I told you I was going to use Mark's voice. He doesn't pull any punches. So when you see and think about the leper, remember that he had to cry out everything that was awful about him. He had to announce to everybody. And Jesus came so that the awful things in you are not counted against you, but they don't stay awful. So if you want them just to not count against you, but you want to keep them, it doesn't work that way. And because I care about you, I want you to know that he loves you just the way you are. but he doesn't want to leave you that way. Cooperate with him as he tries not to leave you that way because he knows better than I do. He knows better than you do what salvation really is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Mark. Thank you for his love for you. Thank you for his being discipled by Peter. And thank you that they wrote this so that we would know everything we need to know. Nothing more but everything we need to know. Lord, give us the courage to say yes, Lord, when we have an encounter with you. We know you love us. But yes, Lord, I don't want to be the same anymore either. We pray this in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For the glory of God our Father. Amen. There's a lot of talk in our culture, especially, you know, election time and post-election time, and even, even in other areas about identity, identity politics, or I identify as this, or I identify that, or this is who I am. And, and, I, and I understand that. I do. I understand how desperately we want to know who we are. Truly. But you're not defined by pathology. I'm not the abandoned little boy. I'm not the man who can't shake a hand with his right hand. I'm not the, I'm not the guy who just keeps flipping over in cars. I didn't flip over recently, but I've had nine car accidents. That's not, that's not what defines me. 
not by what I do or what's happened to me. I don't have to yell out anymore, sinner. I'm not identified by anything other than forgiven and I belong to the one who loves me like no one else can love me. I'm a child of God. So remember, folks, it's not who you are as much as it is whose you are. And his desire is to make you more like him because he made you to be like him. So stop fighting him and start saying, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. Think of all those words. Listen to them again. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God smile, God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.